<clears throat> As you can tell, I'm a tenor. <laughs> it's a good blessing for me to be with you uh, today in this service, the first service and now in the second service. I've had a long association with my friend John Guest. In 1969, I was chaplain at Westminster College, and John was visiting with his group called The Excursions, three singing people who went around the area. And John had hair down below his shoulders. It was really exciting. Uh, but we have been good friends for a long time, and I'm glad to be here today. <coughs> From the New Testament, these words, first of all, from 1 Peter, the second chapter, in the 22nd verse. Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And then also from the Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter, at the verse numbered 56, a story of three men who met Jesus on the way near the end of his time toward Jerusalem. Luke writes this. As they were going along the way, a man said to him, I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you, Lord, wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To the second man, Jesus spoke first and said, follow me. This man said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, leave the dead to bury the dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. The third man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God always for the gift of a living word. Let us pray. O God, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Peter makes it very clear in that single verse that he gave to us from his first letter. For to this you and I have been called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Follow Jesus. And isn't it true that that's what we think about as we think about being a Christian? We are called to follow Jesus. Jesus asked the disciples, follow me, follow me. Follow me. And so we look at our responsibility to follow in his steps. And you see, Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem near the end of his earthly ministry. And on the road, he met three people. And those three people speak to us about what it means to be followers of Jesus. We find in this passage an opportunity to measure these three people in their attempt to follow Christ. But at the same time, it allows us, as we look at them, to measure our own responsibility and response as followers of Jesus Christ. 
We need to evaluate our lives from time to time. I agree with Socrates that the unevaluated life is not worth living. And so we evaluate our lives as followers using these three examples in the gospel according to Luke. First man says, I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you go. Jesus says, well, let's see. If you come and fill out a membership card and join a small group, and, and then uh, be sure that you uh, begin to take your pledge card and tie. He doesn't say that at all, does he? He says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What he's saying to this man, with all of his enthusiasm looking to Jesus, he said, count the cost. Count the cost. I don't think this is the first time this man ever saw Jesus. I think he had been following for a long time. You know, the 12, the 70, perhaps he was from the group from the hillside who had been fed with uh, bread and fish. But he was there and he'd watched Jesus. He'd watched his eyes. He'd listened to his voice, heard what he said, watched his followers. And he was so impressed by this that he said, I'll follow you. I want to be part of this. I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you go. But Jesus said, count the cost. Boxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, isn't it true also that we are impressed by those who have led us? My thinking is that in my life and perhaps in yours, there's probably one, two, maybe if you're lucky, three people who have t totally influenced you in your conversion to Jesus Christ. People who impressed you with their witness, with their lifestyle. Perhaps it's a pastor or a teacher or a parent or a sibling or a neighbor, someone who has shown to you by word and deed what it means to be a Christian. And the natural response when we see this kind of person and have the leadership from that person, we, be, we begin to say, I, I want to be part of that, just like the man on the road. And just as surely as Jesus said what he said to the man on the road, he says to us, be sure to count the cost. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, we like to have a lot of good things, but we're not too attentive to the cost. There are seven contemporary sins, and they are these. Wealth without work, policy without principle, pleasure without conscience, knowledge without character, science without humanity, industry without morality, and worship without sacrifice. There's a great temptation for us. We hear a lot of prosperity gospel people on television now. Everything's going to be good. All these good things are going to be yours. But there's a cost involved. There's a responsibility to be a follower, a faithful follower of Jesus. And how do we discern that call? How do we understand what that is? <coughs> Dan Rather was interviewing <coughs> Mother Teresa and asked her, Mother Teresa, what is it you say when you pray? And she said very softly, often I don't see any, say anything, I just listen. And then being a good journalist, he wanted to go on, and he said, well, when you listen, what do you hear? And she said, I hear eventually, if I will listen long enough and hard enough, I hear what God is calling me to do and what it may cost me to do it. 
cost. Count the cost. But you see, we're not called just to be people who look like Christians, to be respectable-looking Christians, look, sound, act like Christians. We're called to be responsible, not just to be a show. A friend of mine, Tommy Bell, was the late Tommy Bell, was an official for the National Football League, and for, he, for all his years, he would go to church on Sunday morning, whatever city he was in. He couldn't find a Protestant church open early enough, so he would go to the Catholic church. Service was in Latin, so he didn't know Latin, so when people stood up, he stood up. When they sat down, he sat down. When they knelt, he knelt. One time, he and one of his officials went over to Germany to officiate a, a football game between two armed forces football teams. And they went to a German church, and of course, the same problem. He didn't understand German, but he was sitting right down front, about the third row, and the row in front of them was one man sitting all by himself. And the minister began to talk in German. And as he talked, all of a sudden, the man in front of him, them stood up, and so they stood up too, and they began to hear snickering, and they began to look around, and everybody else was uh, sitting seated and not getting up and smiling. After the service was over, minister came and apologized. I hope you weren't embarrassed, but he said, I was making the announcements when that happened, and he said, I was announcing the birth of a new child in the congregation. Some of you are ahead of me here. And I asked the father to stand up. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We just stand up, stand up. Merlin Olson, the great football player and actor, was at the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. He'd hurt his foot, and he was walking around the football field with this athletic swagger and a limp. And all of a sudden, there were seven little boys walking right behind him, limping and swaggering to try to be like Merlin Olson. That's not the way it goes. We are to count the cost. And you see, sometimes we find that very difficult. I spent the last week with Tony and Peggy Campola at Lake Chautauqua, New York. I had some time to talk with Peggy for quite a while. Tony I've known for a number of years through the church and through family connection. Peggy was talking about her early time in the ministry when she was first married to Tony, and she said she was all caught up in what was happening. She was enjoying it. She was enjoying the places they would go and the things they would do, the people they would meet. Tony's popularity grew, and she enjoyed that as well. But suddenly she realized she had not made a total commitment to Christ. What an honest, candid confession that she made. She said it was about when she was about 40 years of age that she finally, finally began to realize that Christian, Christ, the Christian life, to be a follower, demanded responsibility, sacrifice, service, giving of one's heart. And that's the way one becomes a faithful follower of Jesus. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To the second man, Jesus speaks first, and he said, follow me. Jesus wants this man. But this man said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. 
That doesn't sound like Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild to me. That's pretty harsh. He wants to bury his father. Leave the dead to bury the dead. As for you, go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. That bothered me for a long time when I was growing up until I went and studied in Jordan in an archaeology program. And I discovered a custom which had gone on for centuries and still is there in much of the Near East. And here's the custom. The oldest son does not leave home until the father has died. Ah, perhaps that's the answer for what Jesus probably knew something more about this man than is evident in the first looking at the text. There's a good possibility this man's father wasn't dead, probably wasn't even sick. What he was giving to Jesus was an excuse. Uh, let me go and bury my father. It'll be a couple years. Leave the dead excuses to bury themselves. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Now, I taught school briefly and was a basketball coach, and I kept a few notes uh, that students gave to me, and I knew, just I knew right away that they were excuses that their parents probably knew nothing about. One said, please excuse Mary for January 31st, 32nd, and 33rd. I had a feeling that the parent didn't write that. And then there was also... Uh, Tommy uh, had an excuse. Please excuse Tommy from gym class. And then he used the wrong pro pronoun because he said, because I don't like it anyway. <laughs> and then my favorite little note, which is not necessarily an excuse, but still my favorite note, it was in this little boy's handwriting, so I knew it was his. And he said, please excuse Jimmy for being. <laughs> and then it added, it was his father's fault. <laughs> Making excuses making excuses. And you know, sometimes we need someone to help us to see our excuses, to see that we're making excuses and, and try to move out of those. We need somebody who clarifies that and, and says, let's look at this again. In the movie Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Little, that great Christian gentleman who was a fantastic runner, won all kinds of records. And by the way, I met a person this summer who knew Eric Little when he was in a prison camp in the Second World War in China. And Eric Little was very involved in ministering to people, physically, spiritually, in that time in the prison. But in this movie, Eric was winning the races, and he was defeating everybody, including a man by the name of Harold Abraham. And Harold Abraham was sitting in the bleachers after he had been defeated by Eric Little for the very first time in his life. And he said to his girlfriend, if I can't win, I'm not going to run. And she said in all her wisdom, if you don't run, you can't win. Sometimes we just need to check the excuses and put them on hold, leave them behind us, and take a risk. Sometimes making an excuse is because we don't want to take a risk and do something that looks a little tough. We need to be willing to take risks as faithful followers. Let me tell you about risks. To laugh is to risk being called a fool. To weep is to risk being called sentimental. To reach out to others is to risk being involved. To tell the story of your life is to risk exposing who you really are. 
To dream is to risk loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To move ahead against all odds is to risk failure. But risk we must because the greatest danger of all is not to risk at all. If we don't risk, we may satisfy for a moment some difficult times, some sorrow and sadness in making a decision. But we will never love or grow or live. Only the person who risks is totally free. Leave the dead excuses to bury themselves. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. The third man is like the first man. He's very impressed. He's seen Jesus. This is something he really wants to do. And so he says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my friends at home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. That's a very revealing answer that Jesus gives. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. What he's telling this man is, if you're going to follow me, I don't want you following this way, looking back there. I want you to follow face forward, focused this direction, face forward. You know, we, we know the seven last words of the church, don't we? We've always done it that way. And sometimes that's the way we live. We want to just say, just keep a little touch at home. Say farewell to those at home. Jesus said, walk straight with me. I got to know the Amish farmers when I was in school and also on the faculty at Westminster College and got to know them very well. And I got to know how they plowed those very, very straight furrows. They would have a mark, a tree or something on the other side of the field, and they would plow right straight toward that mark. And then when they turned around, they left a mark back here and they'd plow right for that mark. Same thing, mark to mark to mark. And if you look at an Amish farm, the furrows are absolutely straight. Face forward. Moving face forward. And that's what Jesus is saying to this man. I want you to go face forward, to run your race. Your race. In Hebrews, there's a wonderful verse which many of you probably know very well. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's the first couple verses in Hebrews 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It's a wonderful verse. All the witnesses we've known who have witnessed to it, who watch us, Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance. Look at the pronoun. Let us run. Not them, not the wardens, not the council, not the pastors, not the teachers, not somebody else. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, each one of us, looking to Jesus Christ and become faithful followers. Faithful followers. Back in 1954, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile for the first time ever. No one had ever done it before. He and his friend Chris Chataway had trained over in England for a number of months 
for a particular day. And when the day came, it was cold and rainy, and Roger Bannister said, well, maybe we'll wait for a better day. And Chataway said, we have trained for this day, for this race. Let's do it. Chataway was a pacer. You know that kind of person has kind of a clock in his head? He knows just how fast to run to keep a certain pace to get to a certain time on the clock. So the, pro- pro- the plan was this. Chataway ran for three quarters of a mile in the lead, setting the pace. And Bannister, in an article in Sports Illustrated at the 25th anniversary of this wonderful event, said he felt like quitting several times in that first three quarters of a mile because his muscles began to tighten and it was a little harder and harder to breathe, but he he couldn't quit because there was his friend Chataway setting the pace and he had made a, a promise to follow him. At the end of three quarters of a mile, Bannister, who had much more stamina, much more strength, went past Chataway and raced the last 440 yards to try to break the record. And he said once again, the muscles tightened, the breath was hard to come by, but he couldn't quit because he could hear the footsteps of his friend, Chris Chataway, right behind him. And more than that, Chris Chataway was shouting encouragement. Now, anybody who's who's run a mile, it's hard enough just to run the mile, let alone shout encouragement for the last 400 yards. And Bannister said, I couldn't have done it without that. And he broke the record by six-tenths of a second, 359.4. And Chris Chataway ran the best race of his life ever, a 401.2. But you see, when we look at this, Bannister said, I got all the glory, all this recognition on the anniversary he was writing about. I get all, I, all the awards, but you cannot forget, I cannot forget Chris Chataway because he ran his race, too. Let me say this. Any pastor worth his salt knows that there are Chris Chataways in that church who set the pace for that pastor. They're the ones who set the pace. Here's where we're going, and the pastor follows along if he's a faithful follower. The pastor also knows, if he's worth his salt, that there are times when he does have to take the lead and, and, and set the pace himself and, and run for the victory and get some of the credit. But you see, we're running with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus says to these three people, count the cost, forget the dumb excuses, and run with perseverance your race. To run the race that Jesus set for us, to follow in his steps. And where do we get the strength to do that? It's offered to us by Jesus Christ on his last day before the ascension when he says to the apostles in Acts, the first chapter, the eighth verse, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, my followers, if you will, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Nobody went to Samaria. Samaria was a ghetto. Samaria was was people who were outcasts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Your power, my power will be given to you to be witnesses, followers. The power of the Holy Spirit. 
There's a prayer from the Middle Ages, which no one knows exactly who wrote it, but it did come from the year 1000 or 1100, 1011. And the prayer is a prayer for the Holy Spirit. I pray it every day before I preach. Sometimes I pray it out loud, always at least quietly to myself. I pray it before I do my devotions, before I study the Scripture. Listen carefully to this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the light and reveal. Convict, convert, and consecrate until we are totally thine. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the fire and burn. That's why I chose the title for today, Fired Up Followers, Fired Up by the Holy Spirit. Well, let me say this to you. It's important for us to take a moment. There's always an urgency in the Christian faith, an imperative. It's time to do something. And so I think about the Dead Poet Society movie where where Robin Williams is playing the teacher, and he's talking to a lot of very well-to-do young men, and he's trying to get them to move away from being just materialistic and thinking only themselves. And all through the movie, he says to his class, carpe diem, carpe diem, carpe diem, carpe diem. Seize the day, seize the day. Today I say to you, with two extra Latin words, carpe diem pro Christi, for you to become a fired up follower, seize this day, every day, for Christ, carpe diem pro Christi. Well, a number of years ago, I was speaking at the at a conference for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for coaches, professional college, high school coaches. And I was talking about this very story about the followers and came to the end of a discussion with all the people, say all the coaches sitting there. And I said, let us pray. And I bowed my head and paused for a moment and kind of get my thoughts in mind before I said anything. And before I could open my mouth and say a word, back here on about the third or fourth row, sitting right on the aisle, was the late Dave McLean, who was the football coach at the University of Wisconsin. And all of a sudden, before I could utter a word, he began, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He didn't sing very well. But all of a sudden, all those coaches were singing right with him. And I invite you to sing it once more right here with me as fired up followers. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. If no one joins me, still I will follow. If no one joins me, still I will follow. If no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, 
the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Let us remain standing and continue in prayer. God, we know we have been called, as Peter tells us, we have been called to follow the Christ who suffered for us on the cross, was raised from the dead, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Let us be fired up followers, willing to count the cost, to put away the excuses, and to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, always looking to Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, through whom we pray. Amen.